<laughs> Paul Bushnell's here to talk podcasts. Hi, Paul. Good afternoon. Uh, Paul runs our RNZ Auckland office and um, has been a regular podcast contributor over the last few years. And today, as always, a theme. Today's theme, an intriguing one, Paul, Secret Lives Exposed. Yeah, I think in this case, I mean, what 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 attracted me to this was was not principally that sort of theme, but it's certainly it's a strong connection between these two podcasts, and they are a really interesting example of the genre because they're both produced by the BBC, huge, lavish, well resourced international public broadcaster. You know, often does some of the really superb, high quality work, mm. and this work is 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 equally excellent. Both of these podcasts are excellent. Neither of them are produced in London. Both of them are produced in, in, in regional parts of uh-huh. the UK. We're talking about Northern Ireland. We're also talking about, about Scotland as well, too. Yeah. Um, um, and they are about stories in and of those, um, um, uh, those places. And also historical stories as well, too. Because we're talking about stories that leap us back 30 years and, in fact, into hidden gay histories. Because these are both mysteries of different kinds um, which occurred in those two to two cities. Very, very, very different. But both of them were were basically um, uh, very much influenced by the fact that, that they occurred within a time um, only relatively recently after sort of law reform in the UK. Certainly that was the case in, in Northern Ireland, for example. Younger listeners, I think, will be shocked to hear that uh, even as recently as the 1990s in a Western country, people were forced to... Um to, to hide their sexuality. Absolutely, absolutely. That in fact, you, you, it was illegal to, to, to have a gay partner. Um, it was illegal, for example, in, in, um, in Scotland um, to have someone who was, who was younger than 21 at the time that some of the story of these two, these two podcasts is happening. So it's in that period when you've got people who have to um, be protected, to have to be careful. All right, the, the law may have changed. Uh, gay sex may no longer be illegal. But the social attitudes and the homophobic attitudes were so powerful Mm-hmm. That if you were unmasked, and that's the right word to use for it, if you were unmasked, if your identity as a gay person or lesbian person was revealed, you would lose your job. You would be publicly vilified. You would you would actually end up basically having to leave any profession you're working mm-hmm. within, and your family would be shamed. And that sense of the shame, the sense of opprobrium, would be felt by everyone. And that context of of sort of of homophobia in terms of social context is very powerful. But it's extremely powerful also in terms. Of the institutions, because in this case, with the, with the podcast, I probably should mention the names of them. Actually, um, um, the um, um, Scottish one is called "Shiny Bob, the Devil's Advocate," and it's about a scandal that um, is conspiracy theory, and also a scandal which gripped the Edinburgh legal system in the 1990s. The other one, "Blood on the Dance Floor," explores the murder of a gay police officer, um, um, Protestant police officer in Belfast in 1997. So. In the, in the context of that period, you're talking not only about social opprobrium, but you're talking about actual um, a workplace uh, um, opprobrium as well, too. Yeah. That, that if you were um, uh, revealed to be a gay lawyer or, you know, or certainly a judge, if there was a whisper that was going to be announced, you resigned. You left, you left the profession. You couldn't be out and, 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 and the police. Um, that there was so much hostility, mm. so much antagonism towards you. Um, and in fact, one of the the really principal parts of this the story about um, the uh, of the podcast Blood on the Dance Floor, um, which is about this murder of this gay policeman, was the one of the reasons why he why he was very exposed. He was murdered in a gay nightclub mm. in a gay bar was because um, he had been um, uh, stood down from work because he had been seen photographed coming out of a public toilet. 
um, a public, it was a public toilet in which, in which was known to be a sort of yeah. cruising ground. This is before there were any places where gay people could meet. It was before apps, before f- the whole phone thing, before any of the kind of ways that, you, mm. that, that gay people can meet these days existed. Um, and there was no suggestion he'd actually done anything inside this public toilet. Mm. But that was enough to, to, to actually have him stood down for months and months and months while his state, while his, his um, gayness or not, being gay or not, was being investigated. And so it was the only place in a very homophobic Belfast where he felt safe was in this gay bar, which proved to be the place where he was actually murdered. What happens in so one's in Edinburgh, one's in Belfast. Do you want to have a talk about the Edinburgh? Yes, one? the Edinburgh one is, is 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 a very different one because what we're talking about is sort of two investigative series. Really, um, the 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 uh, Belfast one is focusing on this particular death of this poli- this policeman. What happened? Who was he? Who did it? It's a very very focused one, although it mm. fans out into social stuff. The, so the, it, so a who done it that just happens to be in the context of this time. That's and, right. And, this and particular this period. Matter, that's yeah. right. Absolutely. The other one which has got. You know, really startling parallels um, 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 is uh, um, uh, sets up a, a kind of um, uh, conspiracy theory, um, and and these are conspiracy theories. There are conspiracy theories which are fake, effectively, um, uh, but which sort of developed and rippled up to do with the suggestion that the legal system um, um, in in Edinburgh was was really um, driven by this cabal, this secret cabal of gay um, legal people, of judges and also senior barons and lawyers and so on, um, um, who were having their nefarious way with the law. Um, and so what uh, and what you get out of that is a whole series of other concentric rings. It connects to another conspiracy theory. It connects to another whole plot, subplot, um, uh, to do with uh, um, exploitation of, of, of young men and the sort of rent boy scene um, in Edinburgh as well too, and becomes extremely knotted. And so what, so what those programme makers are trying to do is kind of explore that context mm. and actually get to the bottom of what happened. Um, and the revelation in the case of, of, of both of them is pretty startling. I mean, what you end up with the when, in the police one, you don't get told the name, but you do get told you know, quite many gripping details about how the brother of the policeman who'd been killed, he absolutely knows who it was who killed his brother. This was this was an example of sectarian violence. We're talking about the period after the Good Friday Agreement, um, when you know peace, a sort of shaky peace, was established, and it was being threatened by various sectarian groups, both Republican and also Unionist. In this case, it was it was a Republican group, an offshoot of the IRA, which had put down its arms. It was one of those sort of weird, small, highly um, um, militarized um, offshoots, mm. which was going around killing people. And this particular target. Um, was um, was uh, um, the the series suggests a target because it's almost certain that someone who was gay and who was in this nightclub and who'd become friends with the policeman had actually targeted him and knew exactly who the, who the murderer was was to actually target. I mentioned earlier this may come as a surprise to younger people that it was only thirty years ago and how good are these podcasts at evoking. Uh, the period of the yeah, 1990s. They are absolutely fantastic at that. I, I mean, but, but in different kinds of ways. The 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 uh, Edinburgh s- uh, series is is wonderful at, at, at delving you into particular kind of worlds, worlds which none of us may have may have had any kind of connection with, and making them vivid and real and extraordinary. The the sequence which the the episode which looks at r- the sort of rent boy market 
and how that was operating. You end up with an interview with the, with the, with the young then it was a young man being interviewed actually in his nineteen in, in his sixties, um, you know, last year um, um, about the situation of 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 the sort of commercial sex scene and the imbalance of power, and all of those things sort of have vivid vivid connections. I think to really to, to, to the present day, if we think about James Wallace and the kind of thing of power mm-hmm. and about um, um, inequality of power and how when sex comes into that, um, 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 the power situation leads to these situations of radical inequality and, and often great injustice. So there's real, there's real burning sort of social stuff in there, but it's conveyed in a sense in a, in a period of, of really vivid <laughs> recreation of what it was like to be a member of, of a community which was had to be secret, had to be hidden, and had this life which was largely out of public gaze. And little grace moments of sadness, about particularly about, about the murdered policeman, about if only... You know, he had lived to see now this transformed Belfast, which has a pride parade, mm-hmm. which has gay a gay police um, um, recognised in the police, um, um, and and which the, sort of the idea of the sort of rainbow community, and the same is also equally true of Edinburgh, and equally true of Scotland as well too. That those things had had been so transformed that it seems incredibly sad the people who were damaged yeah. and whose lives were were damaged by by the terrible things that happened in those periods. Um, um, you know, could uh, were today. The situation one hopes can be very different. Born thirty years too early, really. Absolutely. What conclusions do the series make? Oh, I think just 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 that it's 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 super important for us all to know know about the past. And the, one of the great things about podcasts, it seems to me, is it gives you these powerful, vivid experiences. You get great interviews with people who are actually in in the bar at the same time that the the, 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 the the policeman was killed, for example. Um, but you also get get really interesting sort of social reflection in terms of what things were like at that time and I think that for me in terms of thinking thinking back to the past is going to be really wonderful for people in the future but it's great for people today and great for young people today to realise all of us to realise in the past even for those of us who are around we kind of forget that how, how different things were so those are podcasts again, Shiny Bob, The Devil's Advocate, uh, which is based in Edinburgh, and Blood on the Dance Floor, um, both by the BBC, Blood on the Dance Floor, is uh, set in Belfast in 1997. Now, Paul, I don't remember approving this, but it's come to my attention that you're leaving <laughs> RNZ. It is indeed. Yes, I'm yes. retiring on my 65th birthday, which is the 4th of August, and um, I'm handing over my swipe card and out the door at 5 o'clock. How long have you been part of this organisation? Uh, it's uh, something close to 30 years, I think. Oh, gosh. Having done a whole range of entirely different kinds of jobs and um, found incredible satisfaction and enjoyment in doing it. Um, I've got to say, I'm in exactly the same thing. A very different job here in Auckland that I began work as a, an arts journalist, with a little arts show um, on RNZ, on Concert concert FM as it was then. Exciting to hear the new plans now for arts coverage, arts and culture coverage being sort of developed and beefed up, which is really, really great. And I've moved on through a whole lot of different kinds of jobs um, um, over those years. Um, The great, I love my current job of being in support of the people in the Auckland office, as well as doing some ordinary production stuff of my own as well too. But um, um, you know, when it comes to retirement, as it does, I think with other big decisions, sometimes you just know. (laughs) It just feels right, and yet Yes, the answer, the, the decision becomes really clear, and you think, "Yeah, it's absolutely the right thing to go." Um, and as Sharon Crosby, who was this huge, significant figure in broadcasting, chief executive when I was appointed in, um, in RNZ, um, said before her departure, "When you get out of the pool, the water closes in behind you." <laughs> um, thank you, thank you for many things. Thank you for putting in a good word for me early in my RNZ career. That made a huge difference. I know. 
thank you for organising the morning teas and the vaccinations and the hearing tests and the fixing of the leaky ceilings and the alarms going off in the middle of the weekend. Thank you for the listener crossword, which is a, a fine RNZ tradition that you've been a big part of uh, and so much of RNZ's Auckland life and what we've been toned and what we think of as life here in RNZ Auckland is, is due to you. So thank you for, the, uh, for all the service you've put in and uh, on air as well. Thank you. It's been fantastic. And um, all I can say is just I wish the very best for you and for all of your fantastic team, but everyone in RNZ who's here. Such a lot of new people who are here. And it's so exciting seeing the organisation going on to doing new things, big new plans, more funding, more secure. Um, you know, despite the turbulence in the last couple of months, that we're in a much better situation now. I think we've been ready for quite a number of years. And I'm going to be sitting back now as a listener and a reader and thinking, wow, I'm really enjoying this. Yeah, and occasional text I hope. Remind me what I'm doing right and wrong. (laughs) Your slot stays open, by the way, so anytime you want to come back and talk about podcasts. Thank you very much. I do believe in cold turkeys, I'm afraid. Speaking of which, um, man... Would you have ever thought 30 years ago that you'd be the podcast reviewer? On no, ours? this is just so interesting. They because, probably existed back then. Oh, right? well, no, not really. I mean, with, because this medium was not quite literally pre-internet, but certainly pre-internet in terms of it being an integral part of yeah. people's lives. Um, documentaries existed, certainly. Yeah. You know, This American Life, archetypal right, US documentary. Right, right, right. We had our own Spectrum series running a particular kind mm-hmm. of documentary. The great thing now is that documentary technique is just one of the ways in which people can create great podcasts that have be very specific content that are tailored because mm. you choose as the consumer. Oh, wow, that looks interesting. And that, for me, is really exciting development. Good stuff. Thank you. Thank you. Let's go to bookmarks now. Um, by the way, that was Paul Bushnell uh, doing his last podcast review for us. He's the manager of the Auckland office here at RNZ, and he's retiring on his 65th birthday on the 4th of August.